You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. I appreciate Wes sharing his story and sharing his heart. My name's Dean. I'm a pastor here at City Church, and we're talking about living your best life, and this week, how living your best life is a generous life. I mean, who doesn't want to live their best life, right? I mean, everyone wants to live what the world would call their best life. However, where we get confused and get off track sometimes is where we take the world's messaging and the world's definitions concerning what that looks like, and as Christians, rather than drive our idea of what a best life looks like from God's word, we take our cues from the culture. So regularly you need to kind of redirect and examine and make sure that we're defining things the way God is defining things. So let's pray together and then we'll talk about how our best life is a generous life. Father, we're thankful uh, that you are the most generous. The, the greatest gift of all is our salvation in Jesus Christ. So I ask that those who are here today who already know Jesus will be strengthened in their confidence in the good news of the gospel and also their love for Christ. And those who are on the fence or aren't sure or doubting, whatever it might be, that their eyes may be open to the good news of your love for them and their need uh, for Jesus as their Savior. We ask you, every church in Tallahassee as they gather today, allow the word of God to be preached in every pulpit. And I ask that you keep the enemy out of this place and out of our city, and that all we do be in your name and in, to honor the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Maybe you've heard this saying before, money talks or money speaks. Well, I think the first person to ever actually, maybe not use those exact words, but imply that saying is actually Jesus himself. Now, you might be here today and go, oh my gosh, it's the money talk. You're looking at the person who brought you and we're like, really? Could we come at Christmas time or something along those ends? But I want to let you know first and foremost that at our church, there's no such thing as the money talk. There's the Jesus and the Bible talks over and over again. There's discipleship through the scriptures, and where scripture speaks, God speaks. We have to make sure we are clear on what it is that God has said to his people. And we're going to see here is that Jesus says what we do with our money, money talks, money speaks, says a lot about us. Because in front of God, you can't hide who you really are. And you can't hide your heart. Here is what Jesus said. I'm going to use this text out of Matthew at the beginning. But we're going to primarily be in Mark chapter 12 uh, here this morning. But I want to use this to help us build and understand the angle Jesus is going to come from throughout the Bible. You can see him looking out for us here, having our best in mind. I really believe that Jesus wants us to live our best lives. But how he defines it is different than how the world defines it. So you could say kind of the journey of discipleship, of becoming more like Christ, of following Jesus in this world, is aligning your views with God's views. And how do we find God's views in the scriptures? And here we see that Jesus didn't just save us from our sins, but he also cares about our hearts, and he cares about our well-being here on this earth. Verse 19, Matthew chapter 6. These are the words of Jesus. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Again, here's Jesus looking out for us. He's warning us in love on the danger of investing everything into things that will expire, and the things only of this world that ultimately will collect moth and rust. He says, but, as in a contrast there, that word but's always important in the Bible. 
You're going to get a strong swing. Not this, but this he's getting ready to say. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven as an invest of the things of eternal value where neither, it's the opposite, where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves don't break in and steal. Two opposite places of investment. And then he lands the plane in verse 21 of why he's telling us this and warning us. He says, for where your treasure is, because money talks, money speaks, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That God cares about your heart and he links your heart and your treasure together. And here is God looking out for his people and notice he doesn't say where your time is, there your heart is. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say where your passions are, that's where your heart is. He doesn't say where your motives are, that's where your heart will be also. He says where your treasure is. I mean, you can't be much more clear than that, that those things are linked together. So how offensive would it be if you came into a church service and the pastor gets in the pulpit and says, hey, just so you know, um, you're just a number in a chair, and we don't care about your heart. Have a nice day, beat the Methodist to lunch. I mean, I mean, that would be kind of offensive. We don't care about your heart. In other words, we don't care about you. Figuratively, if a church avoids having conversations and sermons when the Bible's clear about money and possessions and treasures, you know what we're figuratively saying? care about your heart. I don't want to be a part of a church that's like that. I also don't want to be part of a church that takes things out of context and manipulates scripture in order to prove a point or make somebody feel bad. So instead, let's have an alternative and simply preach the Bible and see what it is that God has to say to us. And Jesus tells a story. I say the writer here tells a story about Jesus and an encounter that he had. We're told this in Mark chapter 12. And this is Mark who is basically dictating from Peter all of Peter's experiences right under the authority of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration. It says, sitting across from the temple treasury, so there's a church service going on. He watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury, how they were putting money into the offering. Many rich people were putting in large sums. So it was obvious this was happening. So like the wealthy part of the crowd, like the skybox tickets, not the bleachers, like that crowd, they were walking up there with their $100 bills. They're kind of doing this, making sure everybody can see, dropping their money in the plate. Everybody's like, wow, how generous. That guy just dropped several hundred dollars in the offering plate. We should name the stadium after him. Oh, he just did 50. He gets a brick or whatever it might be. Wow. So they're showing it at the very least. I don't want to read too much into it. We don't know if they're flaunting it, but they're at least showing it. And then we see again, just like the word but, there's the word then. A strong swing, a strong contrast. A poor widow came and dropped the two 
dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. So we see that Jesus has this moment here where he wants to teach his disciples something. So he summons them. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, truly I tell you, as in pay attention, take notes, disciples, here it is from your Messiah. The poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. And they're like, Jesus, like we know you can like walk on water and stuff, but were you paying attention? Two coins, $100 bills. They're not even in the same ballpark. Not even close. Like, one, like one's going to Magic Kingdom, like the other's going to the North Florida Fair. Like that level. All the Wakulla folks are like, what's wrong with the North Florida Fair? Nothing, I just want to throw it out there. Like, what, like what, why would you say that? And if you study the background of this text and the original language and the context, those coins that she was giving are believed by scholars to be worth about an eighth of a cent in those times. An eighth of a cent? Basically worthless. Think about how we are with pennies today. Maybe you go by a fountain and you throw a penny in the water. Or your kids, if you have children, will go, oh, can we have some coins and, and throw them in the water? Maybe if you saw a penny out front in the parking lot today, you just walk right past it and not even pick it up. Why? Because it's a penny. It's a penny. In our eyes, we're just being honest, they're just kind of worthless. Maybe you put them all in the, you know, a jar for a couple years, but besides that, there's a ladybug on my glasses. That's a first, Okay. Sorry, that really threw me off. <laughs> Regroup, okay. So, got to come back. Okay, it's like a legit ladybug on my glasses, sorry. So they're, so they're saying, like, this doesn't make sense. And it's worthless. Why does it matter? She probably shouldn't be doing that anyway. It's because she probably needs the two pennies or whatever. And he goes, well, got to understand what's happening here. Verse 44. For they all gave out of their surplus. Yes, they gave. We're not going to pretend they didn't give. And I'm using $100 just as an example. But like $100 is a lot of money. Right? That, what, what, is, that, that, is that a generous act? Well, for some people it really is. But for some people it's really not. For she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, is Jesus saying that every single follower of his should put every dollar they have into the offering and not live on anything else? No, he's not saying that at all. What he's illustrating here to the disciples is the strong difference between the two set of people. That one appeared to be generous because they were giving a lot of money, but it didn't really have very much effect on them. They didn't even notice very much. While the other gave out of her heart. And it meant something. And it affected her. See, they might have said, well, that money's not going to pay the bills. Maybe that's not the point of giving and being generous after all. 
What Jesus is saying here as he summoned his disciples is this woman is showing a heart that is totally devoted to Christ and it interferes with her life. Like it impacts her life. And what she's really doing is she's showing us her heart. Because where your heart is, your treasure is also. I think there's two mistakes we make when, as Christians, those who are believers in this room, that we take towards finances and the Bible. The one is the assumption that all is for my consumption. The assumption that all, it's all mine. Everything is for me to do whatever I want to do with it. Yeah, I'm going to be wise, but it's all for me. And the other one is simply this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to me. Why? Because nobody thinks they're rich and everyone thinks they're generous. The first group in that story in Mark 12, they just said, oh yeah, we're generous. Did you see the $100 bills we put in the offering? Everybody thinks they're generous, but nobody actually thinks they're rich. Even people who really are wealthy, they're like, you think I'm wealthy? You should see. You think we got this? You should see. It's like, the, it's like my dad likes to say it's always cold somewhere else. It's like this morning it was cold in Tallahassee. The guy from Wisconsin's like, you think it's cold here? It's like, I'm going to punch you in the face, bro. Like, seriously, it's cold. You're in a jacket too. But everyone thinks they're rich and nobody thinks they're generous, which makes things very complicated and easy to think that this doesn't apply to me. But I think based on this text and kind of the storyline of the Bible, I think there's four main beliefs we need to hold to to make sure we're checking our hearts. Kind of an introspective, you can say kind of, echocardiogram, like, like take a look at our lives compared to, in the context of how Jesus said he measures our hearts. And the first thing is that God owns it all. He owns all of it. Like everything belongs to him. I'm just a steward of what he's given me. You're just a steward of what he's given you. And that's not some kind of church or Christian talking points. That's the reality of the Bible. Psalm 50, for every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. God's like, I own all of it. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. So much of our theology has to flow from the first few words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything must flow from first our understanding of that reality. That he owns, he owns everything and he's just entrusted me to be a good steward. The second thing, which is absolutely the point of the widow, temple, treasury, Mark chapter 12 text is this. In God's economy, the portion matters more than the sum. The portion matters more than the sum. Did the first group give more money than she did? Absolutely. In total amount, but Jesus said she's more generous because the portion matters more than the sum. So $100 is a lot of money. It's a lot of money for a college student. Well, we're watching what some of y'all drive. Maybe it's not. But $100 for a college student, shout out to dad. Uh, but $100 for a college student is a lot of money. But is $100 really a lot of money, fill in the blank, income and job? That's not shame or guilt, just that's how Jesus evaluates us in terms of how our hearts are doing. The portion matters more than the sum. 
It matters to God and it should matter to us. So we can check if we're being generous or not by almost like if we can actually notice it and realize it. He said they gave out of their surplus, the first people. The other person gave out of what they had. I believe that every single Christian on the face of the earth should have a plan for how they're going to give to their local church. Not because the church needs your money. Let's be more mature than that. But because one, Jesus says, this is the condition of our heart, how generous we are, and the local church is his plan A to take the gospel into the community and to the ends of the earth. Everyone should have a plan. And that plan, we should answer the question, is the portion more important here than the sum? And in God's economy, the answer is yes. In the same way, I believe you should have a plan for how you're going to save and how you're going to pay off certain things and how you're going to spend. No one thinks that's crazy. I hope you, I, gosh, I hope you have a financial advisor that helps you with those type of things. God calls us to be wise, and we're stewards. It's all his. So I want to be stewards of these things. These things don't belong to me. They belong to God. I've been entrusted with it. So I have a plan. And part of that plan is going to be how, as a believer and a member of a local church, I'm going to support it. Third thing, this is huge, that God is like this. God cares about my heart. How amazing, the creator of the universe, like he cares about our individual hearts. Isn't that incredible? He's not some distant guy. He's not some big man upstairs. He's a personal God who cares about his children. Like he has affection for us. He wants our hearts to be right. He knows what money can do to us and possessions can do to us. You see, the widow in the story, she might not have had very much money, but money definitely didn't have her. And money is a wonderful thing. One of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible is when folks say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money itself, but when a good thing becomes a God thing, that's when there's a big issue. All the good things in our life, all these amazing things God has given us to enjoy. Relationships, marriage, friendship, your possessions, vacations, school, career, dreams, ambitions. All of these are good things, they just can't become God things. Because God won't share his glory with anything else. And also he knows that none of those things were created to be God's for you. So there's spiritual dysfunction in your life when things get out of order. So rather than God giving you a sledgehammer, in his love, he's going, hey, I care about your heart. Here's how we evaluate it. Trust me. If you can trust me with your salvation, you can trust me to look inside and see what's going on there. God cares about my heart. You know who doesn't care about my heart? The IRS. You think the IRS, and they're, and they're, when they tell you how much they're going to make you pay, they're like, well, it's okay, man. Like, your heart's not in it, so, so just don't worry about it. We want you to be joyful, you know. Or, man, you know, I, th- I think we should charge the Sarah's a little less this year in taxes because, you know, there's, there's, their heart's just not in it. They don't care. They don't care at all. What do they want? Money. If we're going by the Bible, we'll say God doesn't want money. He doesn't need money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He wants you. 
and doesn't want things to have you instead. See, we believe God is the ultimate giver. 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, what is that gift? Are we talking about cash? No, God's indescribable gift is Christ. It is our salvation. It is that he has not punished us as our sins deserve. That God created us to be in relationship with him, but we all said, God, no thanks, I don't want you, I want your stuff instead. I want what I want, not what you want. I'm gonna choose the things of this world rather than you. The Bible calls that sin and idolatry. And if God's a holy God, he can't let sin go unpunished. What kind of holy God is that? He can't shrug his shoulders and go try harder next time. But rather than punishing us as our sins deserve, our merciful and loving God has punished Christ, who had never sinned, in our place. To absorb the wrath of God instead of us, now we're forgiven, we're declared not guilty of our sins, because Jesus shed his blood so we wouldn't have to. In terms of being a payment for our sins, he rose from the grave three days later. He ascended into heaven. He's interceding for us right now. And one day he's going to return again. That's why the scriptures say, thank God for his indescribable gift. One day he's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. He has adopted us into his family, calls us sons and daughters, calls us a friend. We're known as the bride of Christ. Like sinful people like us have been made new creations, forgiven of our sins. And that's what a response. Thank God for your indescribable gifts. He's the great giver. So our reply, because the great giver, should be simply, Jesus, I'm yours. Here. I heard someone say one time that when you hold a bird in your hand, I've never done that before. One of my life goals is to never hold a bird in my hand. Life goal. But when you hold a bird in your hand, if you hold it too tight, you're going to suffocate the bird, you freaks. But if you hold your hands too opened, the bird's going to fly away. So you have to have kind of like a proper cupping of the bird. You know, impress this random knowledge. Okay, a, a proper cupping of the bird if you want to hold it for a little while. That might work for birds. That's not how it works a disciple of Jesus Christ. We don't do this with our stuff. We don't do this with our stuff. We do this with our stuff. Open hands. God, what's mine is yours. And not just talking about money. My relationships, yours. My life, yours. It's one thing to go forward in front of everybody and drop some $100 bills and everybody think you're being generous and not affect you in any way, shape, or form where you barely even noticed it. It's another thing to say, here's what I have. God, for your kingdom and for your mission, it's yours. Jesus is the indescribable gift. Our affections won't grow towards God until we continue to know and understand and hear and receive his affections towards his people. That he so loved the world that he gave his only son. Our God is a giving God. And the fourth thing is really how it works with the Lord, how he's chosen in his sovereignty to do things. That is that money is mission ammunition. Money's what fuels it all. That's what God uses back in the early church. When you see Barnabas, who was a, a new convert to Christ, he saw that the church was being formed. There was, a mission, there was a mission at stake. They had to go and get the good news of the gospel of who Jesus was. They needed to get out 
to other areas to hear the good news. So what did he do? He sold a field and gave the money to the church and said, let's go. Because he knew money was mission ammunition. I believe the most important thing we possibly can be as a church is a vibrant church for Tallahassee. I think what Tallahassee needs more than anything else is not, not just us by ourselves, there's other great churches too, but for our church to be a vibrant church that brings good news of the gospel to Tallahassee. More than any social program, you know, all that matters, more than anything else, the best thing we can be for Tallahassee is a healthy local church that is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the best thing we can be for Tallahassee. But it doesn't stop there. There are physical needs in our community. Family needs in our community. That's why we, as a church, we financially support a women's pregnancy center here in town. We support ECHO, the Hang Tough organization helping special needs families and families with life-altering illnesses. That's why we have benevolence funds that we help church members out that are having a hard time. We believe the Great Commission is an assignment for every Christian in every church, that it's corporate before it's anything else, so we send missionaries all around the world. We give hundreds of thousands of dollars away to get the gospel out. Not to boast, not to say, look at us, but to say, we're not just asking our members to be generous people. We're saying we're collectively going to be generous as a church. We, we got to, money's mission ammunition. It's got to get out these doors in our city and across the world. It's, it's got to go. It's got to go to secular London. It's got to go to Asia where we have missionaries right now. It's got to go to the coast of Africa where we have missionaries right now. And guess what? Our missionaries don't have to sweat raising their own support 24-7 and write you a million letters and send you this and send you that and beg you to help. Why? Because their church, their church is saying, we got your back. And we don't want you to worry 24-7 about money. We want you to worry about lost people and getting the gospel out. Isn't that an exciting thing to be a part of? I want to always be a part of a church that needs money. And not because they're careless or because they're dying, but because there's vision. And there's goals, and they want to go and go and go and go. We've been doing that for almost 15 years, 15 years in August as a church. There's been so many crazy stories along the way about how God just made it happen over and over and over again. Were there people who wrote large checks and still do to this day to make this church happen, you better believe it. But you know what always carried us through to go forward with the Great Commission to the next place? Regular folks. Regular folks who had a plan, had a plan of how they were going to support their local church. And they made sure that it was proportional, that the proportion mattered more than the sum, it was regular. And they know that God cares about their hearts. They did it with joy. I've never met a generous person who gets mad when the pastor talks about money from the Bible. They're like, preach! It's like the only person that gets mad when we talk about sexual immorality is the person who's involved in sexual morality. You know what I mean? It's the only person that gets mad. Well, wait a second! It's like, wait a second. You actually do need to wait a second, bro. Like, like you're out of bounds. It's also the only person that gets mad. The person who's generous is like, dude, you talk about this more often. The Bible does. So we don't have a money talk here. We have a Jesus and Bible talk every week. And where the scriptures speak, God speaks. And the world tells us to live our best life. It's me, 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 me. 
and give to a few charities, probably tied from your business that just sort of makes you feel good for a little while, makes for a good Instagram picture and a cause, right? Uh, that's kind of the world. It's like, hey, every now and then, tax, it's kind of tax write-off. It's kind of the world sees it. How God sees it is, what would you do if there even wasn't a tax write-off? If there wasn't, if it didn't exist, if there was no picture, if there was no banquet, if there was no black tie, what would you do? And Jesus would say, for myself, to everybody in this room that knows him, the answer to that reveals our hearts. So God doesn't need or want your money. God doesn't want your money to have you. Because he wants to have you fully. So let's be a generous people by his grace. Because that's his solution. He doesn't give some profound way to make sure that our hearts are okay when in terms of, in terms of combating this temptation in our lives to hold it all. His solution is be generous. And have a heart that's generous. Because yeah, the IRS might not care about my heart. God does. Let's go with him and invest our lives, our resources, our minds, our hearts into things of eternity while being faithful and responsible with the things he's given us here on earth. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your grace. We're thankful that, just like Wes said in his video, that we're, we're sinners, but you've dealt with that. You've made us clean. You have forgiven us. So Lord, I ask now we'll live in that forgiveness. We'll live as new creations. And I'm just very grateful that the God of the universe cares about my heart. He cares about the hearts of those in this room. So Lord, I ask that a generous God will find a generous people here at City Church. That we will really believe what you say about the local church and let our first go there and have a plan. And the other things that you put upon our heart to be supportive of that we'll be faithful there as well. But your idea was the church. You're the grand designer of it. It's your plan A. Let us be faithful in our part. Lord, I ask that we bring in even more resources so we can send even more missionaries and make even more of an impact here in Tallahassee and beyond. I'm thankful that you use the person with a lot of resources and you use the woman with two coins. And your economy, they all matter because you want a generous heart. Lord, let us be that to you as we celebrate our indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, fill us with your spirit so we'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. We're thankful to our generous God that you saw the will that you gave. And it's in the name of the one you gave, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news.